Hey everybody, welcome back to my podcast, Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit. This is your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan, Bucks County Community College, just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, just a quick reminder, I've been teaching A&P since 2002, so right now we're going on 18 years. Um, had a funny experience the other day. Um, something that I've been doing for a, a while now is using a program called Kahoot in my classroom, which is a, a mobile device uh, response system where the, we can use an app. Students can use their cell phones, and I could put questions up on the screen, and they can answer with their cell phones, and I can see uh, what the students know. And what I noticed is that when I throw a question out to the class, nobody raises their hand. Everyone's afraid to answer and it makes it feel like nobody knows, like no one's been paying attention. But if I use Kahoot, I'll see that three quarters of the class actually do know the answer. So um, it's kind of an interesting thing to see that uh, students aren't willing to take the risk of being wrong, um, but they actually do know the answers. So the confidence level is um, lower than it needs to be. So. Uh, be confident in yourself and, and, and understand that, that you probably know more than you do. And don't be afraid to fail. It's not a big deal, right? You'll learn a lot more from the answers you don't know than you do from the answers you know. So uh, anyway, just something I noticed in class the other day that I wanted to share. This episode is histology. And we're going to do histology all in one episode, unlike the cells where I broke it up. Um Histology is really difficult to do without visuals because histology is the study of tissues, and this is a really hardcore anatomy topic. So without being able to show you the structure of the four primary tissue classes, um, it's pretty difficult. So this is just a quick, brief overview, 15, 20 minutes on, on histology, so I can give you an intro to what is histology, how we study it, and just general characteristics of the four primary tissue classes. I'm not going to get real deep into muscle tissue and nervous tissue in this episode because those topics will have their very own episodes later on. Um, so in a typical A&P textbook for a two-semester majors level course, um, those tissues will have their own chapters. So um, I'm going to handle it like that with the podcast. Okay, so without further ado, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. Let's do it. Histology is the study of tissues, which is what our cells form when groups of them and the materials they produce come together to function as one cohesive unit. Histology is studied with a microscope because even though you can see most tissues with the naked eye, the details that make those tissues unique are microscopic. There are several different techniques available in microscopy. Light microscopes are simple to use and inexpensive, but their capacity for magnification and resolution are somewhat limited. These are the most commonly used microscopes in a typical anatomy and physiology laboratory. We study tissues because each tissue is unique in its structure and function. The characteristics of the tissues that comprise an organ 
determine what that organ does and how it does it. From a clinical perspective, the diagnosis and treatment of diseases, conditions, and injuries is completely dependent on the tissues that have been affected. A commonly used test, for example, to diagnose disease is a biopsy, wherein the healthcare professional takes a tissue sample from a patient and a pathologist, which is a doctor who studies disease tissues, examines the sample to assess it for abnormalities, like cancer cells. To study histology, slices are taken from tissues and the detail that can't be viewed with the naked eye is examined using a microscope. These specimens are called histological sections, and depending on the plane in which they're cut, the same tissue can look very different. Let's take a look at how we make sense of these histological sections. It's important to note that tissues are three-dimensional structures, but in a prepared microscope slide, you'll be viewing them in two dimensions. We observe the specimen by looking down onto the surface through the microscope lenses. So you'll need to know how the specimen was sliced when it was prepared to fully understand the anatomy of what you're looking at. Consider a hollow vessel like an artery or the duct of a sweat gland. If I were to prepare a histological section of that, its appearance under the microscope would depend on how I cut it. If I cut it across from the perpendicular, which is called a cross section, and then prepared a microscope slide with it, the vessel would look like a hollow circle. But if I cut it long ways down the length of the vessel, called a longitudinal section, it would appear as two parallel bars. But then if I cut it on an angle, its appearance changes again. This time the hollow shape is an oval. This is called an oblique section. So we're seeing the same exact tissue sliced and placed on a microscope and seeing it look completely different. This is an important concept to grasp in histology. Since you're looking at three-dimensional structures that are smashed onto two-dimensional viewing surfaces, keep in mind that you may be looking through some cells and seeing other cells that are behind them. For example, when we're looking at a layer of cells from the lateral surface, don't forget that this layer may actually be just one side of a sheet of cells. So what may look like a cell with multiple nuclei, for example, is really just a cell that you can see through. And since the nuclei are stained darkly and the cytoplasm is not, you're looking at the nuclei of cells that are behind this cell. Tissues are groups of similar cells and the extracellular materials that those cells produce, which is called the extracellular matrix. In histology, we focus on four primary tissue classes. They are epithelial tissue, connective tissue, muscle tissue, and nervous tissue. Let's take a look at the characteristics of epithelial tissue. Epithelial tissue, also known as epithelium, consists of densely packed cells typically arranged into sheets or layers. There's very little extracellular matrix in epithelium, as the vast majority of the volume of this tissue is made up of cells. There are two main types of epithelium. The first is called covering and lining epithelium, which covers and lines the surfaces of the body. These surfaces could be anything from the skin 
to the lining of the digestive tract, to the covering of the outside of the lungs. Anywhere the body has a surface adjacent to a space, there will be epithelium lining it. The inside of a hollow organ or vessel that is lined with epithelium is called a lumen. The second type is glandular epithelium. It forms glands that produce and release physiologically active substances like hormones, mucus, sweat, tears, and a long list of other secretions. Epithelial cells typically undergo a lot of mitosis. Since they're lining surfaces, they're subjected to a lot of physical and chemical trauma. Therefore, they need to be constantly rejuvenating themselves. This means they replicate their DNA quite often, making them susceptible to mutations which could result in tumors. They're also avascular, meaning they have no blood supply of their own. But they're highly innervated, meaning they have a vast nerve supply. This helps them serve as sensory receptors for the nervous system. Since epithelium lines surfaces, the tissue and the cells themselves have specific regions. The surface of the cell that is adjacent to the lumen is called the apical surface because it's at the apex. The surface opposite the apex, whether it's one layer of cells or more than one, is called the basal surface, and it is directly attached to a thin layer of extracellular material called the basement membrane. The surfaces of the cell between the apical and basal surfaces are called the lateral surfaces. Epithelial tissue is classified in two different ways used in conjunction with each other. The first is the shape of the cells. There are three main shapes to epithelial cells. Squamous cells, which are flat and tile-shaped. Cuboidal cells, which measure about the same in length as they do in width, like a cube and columnar cells, which are longer than they are wide, like a column. The other way to classify epithelial tissue is by the number of layers of cells there are relative to the surface they're lining. Now you don't need to count the layers because you only need to identify whether there is one layer or more than one layer. If there's only one layer, it is called simple epithelium. If there's more than one, it's called stratified epithelium. The word strata is Latin for layers, so stratified means layered. If there's one layer of squamous cells, it's called simple squamous epithelium. If there's more than one layer, it's called stratified squamous epithelium. You can apply this to all of the shapes and arrangements of layers. There are a couple of exceptions to this rule, and it may be modified due to structures like cilia or keratin on the apical surface. The structure of epithelial tissue lends to several functions, all of which are related to its relationship with a surface or lumen. After secretion and sensation, which I've already mentioned, the next function is protection. Take the skin, for example. Layers and layers and layers of epithelial cells on the surface of the skin helps protect us by keeping out the harmful agents of the world around us, like bacteria and viruses. The epithelial cells that line the small intestine of the digestive tract absorb water, nutrients, toxins, and other substances we ingest. Absorption being the next function. The term excretion means to eliminate wastes. The epithelial tissues of the digestive system, the urinary system, respiratory system, 
They all aid in eliminating wastes like feces, urine, and carbon dioxide, respectively. Finally, in biology, the term filter means to force fluid and some solutes out of our smallest blood vessels while other solutes are held back. It's like making coffee with one of those paper coffee filters. The water and the dissolved particles from the coffee are pushed through the filter, but the large grounds remain behind. Filtration happens between epithelial cells and through pores in the plasma membranes of the epithelial cells. We're going to focus on connective tissue. Connective tissue includes adipose, areolar, reticular, bone, cartilage, blood, and the dense connective tissues, regular and irregular. It's quite an array of different tissues. Let's take a look at the properties of these connective tissues. Connective tissue is the most diverse of all the four primary tissue types. With a couple of exceptions, it's usually characterized as being scarcely arranged cells surrounded by an abundance of extracellular matrix. The matrix of connective tissue is typically protein-based fibers like collagen fibers, reticular fibers, and elastic fibers, and ground substance. Ground substance is produced by the cells of connective tissue and can range from a fluid, as in blood, to a hard calcified matrix, as in bone. The vast diversity of connective tissue anatomy means a vast diversity of connective tissue function. For example, blood transports gases, hormones, nutrients, and other materials throughout the body. In addition, the cells of the blood are active in the immune system, fighting foreign agents like viruses and bacteria. The connective tissue layer in the deep skin provides a physical barrier protecting us from the harmful agents of the outside world. Different connective tissues bind anatomical structures together, like muscles to bones, bones to bones, organs to the interior of the cavities they're in, and skin to the underlying muscles. Bones and fat protect the organs from trauma. Think of the skull protecting the brain or the cushion of fat that surrounds the kidneys. Bones and fat are also specialized for storage. Fat stores energy, which also generates heat when metabolized, and bones store minerals like calcium and phosphorus. Furthermore, the bones allow us to be mobile organisms moving at the joints so we can make our way around the world, or sometimes just around the room. Two of the primary tissue classes have something really important in common. They both function in response to electrical stimulation. So let's take a brief look at muscle and nervous tissue, the excitable tissues. The last two primary classes are called the excitable tissues. This is because they are electrically excitable, meaning a change in the plasma membrane's electrical potential will cause the tissue to function. With muscle tissue, changes in the membrane potential set off a series of events that results in the muscle's contraction. In other terms, the muscle tissue gets shorter. There are three types of muscle tissue. Skeletal muscle that mostly attaches to the bones so we can move our joints. Cardiac muscle of the heart so we can pump blood. And smooth muscle that helps regulate the movement of contents through a tube or cavity, like in the digestive tract, the lungs, or the uterus. We only have voluntary control over skeletal muscle. Cardiac and smooth muscle are involuntary. Muscle cells are also referred to as muscle fibers, or myocytes. 
The other excitable tissue is nervous tissue, which is found in the brain, spinal cord, and nerves. The functional cell of the nervous system is the neuron, which is surrounded by supporting cells called neuroglia. Neurons receive and transmit electrical impulses called nerve signals. They also process nerve signals so our brain and spinal cord can make informed decisions on actions we take in response to what our sensory experiences are. The excitable tissues are covered more deeply in specific units focusing on the muscular and nervous systems. Alright, well you can't blame me for trying. Histology with no pictures is a pretty tough endeavor. At least you'll get uh, the basics of the four primary tissue classes. You will understand some of the characteristics of them and what histology is, how we study it, histological sections. So do the best you can, but make sure you look up some source material so that you can get this anatomy down. Uh, thanks for your support. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Your emails are great. I, I so appreciate you reaching out. I want to thank Tracy in Minneapolis for asking me how my cat is doing. Cat's doing great. Uh, so again, thank you for that. Also, a quick shout out to Caitlin in San Diego. Uh, thanks for sending me a note and rating the podcast. Uh, that's very helpful. So, by the way, just a quick reminder, if you could write a review, give a rating uh, wherever you get your podcasts, I would sure appreciate it. If you'd like to drop me a note, please feel free to email me at minus55media at gmail.com. M-I-N-U-S 55-M-E-D-I-A at gmail.com and uh, I would love to hear from you alright so thanks again I'll talk to you next time hey don't forget to check out my YouTube channel student help for AP that's the word student help the number four AP and I also have an Instagram account and a Twitter feed with the same name so check those out too Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media with a special thanks to Bucks County Community College for giving me a job doing what I love.